0: listening to another edition of the Just Go Bike Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Wyatt from the Iowa Bicycle Coalition.
1: And I'm TJ Jeskowitz from RAGBRA.
0: This is the podcast where we talk about bicycling just for the fun of it. There's going to be tales from all over the nation, so come for the bikes, stay for the fun, and leave with a smile. How's it going? Wow. Well. I'm
1: doing good. I'm I'm back. I'm fresh. I'm back from vacation, um, many hours away, different time zones away. We just got back from Hawaii, so uh, nice. I, I've got a big smile on my
0: face. Did so you ride? Did you ride up or down the mountain that everybody talks about over there? No, no, not at all. I watch <laughs> people.
1: I, I stopped in a bike shop and talked to talked to Mau- Maui Cyclery. Say that real quick a few times but uh no no we just uh we did just a lot of hanging out which was really cool and um there was a couple of roads that I passed cyclists and and I was probably the only person that was actually driving that actually waited for the proper time to pass the cyclists on these treacherous roads but um I think people are kind of used to it over there that they're just going to get buzzed by every car Mm. that goes by but um boy there are some serious serious hills over there. And I would, I would say mountains, volcanoes, whatever you want to call them. They're, they're not what we see here in the, in the great Midwest. They are a little different types of hills and windy roads that people are, are all over. So, but that's okay. Um, if you want to do that, that's fine. A lot, a lot of people were enjoying those, those little hills and I was enjoying the sunshine and beautiful scenery. How's that?
0: You know, it's easy to take for granted what we have in Iowa, uh, the road network and how things kind of interconnect. And if you can't get to, you know, point A by this option, there's another route that will take you there. And that's part of the rad, the magic behind RAGBRAI, isn't it, that we don't have mountains to go around like other states might, right?
1: No. No, that network of farm-to-market roads is... Are- Really the reason why it works and there's people that try to emulate it, but the, you know, the road system of being able to be pretty much in a small town in within 10 miles. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's too many places in the entire world that are like that and that's certainly you know one of the big successes of why ragbri is is able to continue finding new routes each and every yeah. year and going to new towns so uh yeah certainly certainly makes it nice but um you know the roads that, that we're on in the summertime you know right about now starting to get more and more tractors across them you know getting ready for you know a little bit later season for some of those farmers but you know they're certainly tending fields and um you know getting ready for the harvest later in the fall so there's there's still lots of biking to do though i know most people most people probably haven't put that bike away just quite yet but i see a few bikes that are that are done for the year how about you mark you've been riding much post drag right
0: you know yeah i have uh got quite a few miles in um, Jennifer and I went out and did single track for the first time. Uh, we just mm-hmm. did a little bit she uh she didn 't wear her tall socks, and the weeds were kind of uh starting cool. to get up there she 's much more sensitive to that than I am um so we turned around and kind of headed back on the pavement um, which is cool hmm. i mean that's that 's what it 's there for. I went back out and did single track earlier this week, but it has rained, so it was a little bit damp in spots. I wouldn't say all across the board, and, and I wasn't leaving tracks, but uh, there were just a couple mud puddles that I, after the first pass through the kind of the first quarter of the single track, I said, well, I'm just not the type of person that wants to be out here and, and doing any damage to the environment. So sure. I took the pavement back there at that point, which was fine. Yeah, good um, job. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the way, that's that's the deal. I mean, you, you if you're leaving tracks, uh, that's when you t- got to get out. Um, yeah. Cause it's just not going to work. So, cool. um, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, uh, it, we're just finishing up a big survey. We did of bicycles while you were gone. Um, yeah. we had 2,300 people, uh, talk about their bicycle preferences. Um, road bikes are still King in Iowa. I think, uh, like 80% of, of Iowa bicyclists that took the survey own a road bike. Um, so that's that's still king uh trails are still the the preference of places to ride and and county roads are second and there was a lot of comments that you know i don't have trails in my in my area of the state or you know i got to put my bike on a car and go 50 miles to find a trail i'd love to go ride there but it's not uh, not feasible for me to ride every day so uh, Mm -hmm. roads are still important uh, for bicyclists
1: you know, it's interesting to hear that, like 80% or whatever that number that you just, just tossed out as far as road bikes. Whenever you look at some of the national reports that come back as far as bikes sold and different things like that, it's certainly not 80% road bikes. Um, so, I mean, it's it's a – I don't know if we're that far askew from the, from the rest of the world. I would imagine we're, we're quite a bit different. But um, boy, that that's kind of stark when you look at some of the numbers that are that are going out as far as bikes sold throughout the country. And I don't know, maybe it's the market that that took that survey, but I would imagine that we probably have quite a bit more road cyclists than than per capita, at least than, than most states.
0: Yeah, I I would imagine that at least people that are are tuned into our signal at the Iowa bicycle coalition, you know, we don't have a strong BMX crowd, uh, that follows us. Um, we don't have the kids crowd that follows us. Um, you know, we, we're a little more, uh, of, I don't want to say hardcore bicyclists cause I don't think that's the right term, but we're a little no. bit more, uh, within that definition or within that, within that brand of, of cyclist, um, mm-hmm. that, that follow our signal, uh, as at least start the, our, uh, our communications that we put out. Um, so I don't think it's completely reflective, reflective of what Iowa is looking at. But on the other hand, if, if, uh, I got something that comes up and they said, Hey, we want to talk to, uh, we want to get this message out in front of gravel bicyclists, you know, we can check a button and, and find those people are. in our list and speak very specifically to them. So you know, that's the that's the ultimate goal that we're what we're looking at. Um mm-hmm. we had some bad news this week while you were gone. Yeah uh, I saw bi- wow. bicyclist got killed over near Muscatine. Um early in the morning. I don't have a lot of details. Um, I never have a lot of details on this until things go to go to court and they kind of figure stuff out. But uh, yeah, re- really sad deal. Uh sounds like a, a great guy. Um, He was in the emergency medical services community. Um, So a lot of my friends from that community had posted on Facebook. I saw this guy's picture uh, before I knew it was a a bicycle crash. Um, And a lot of my friends knew him. I didn't know him personally, but uh, a lot of people had worked with him. And it touched a lot of lives. So um, Hmm. it's really too bad it's a hit and run crash. It's the second hit and run crash they've had this year. Um, and, uh, so we're really, um, uh, I, I think, I think law enforcement's taking this very seriously. And, uh, uh, there's a lot of tools out there. They have now a security cam footage and traffic camera footage and that sort of thing. that can help track people down that, uh, that do crimes like this. So hopefully we wish uh, the best to law enforcement to get the job done and, and find some justice in this case so yeah
1: yeah yeah i i think you know see see what happens in the case let's not rush to judgment or or anything like that i mean the only facts that we have seen is that it was a hit and run and and obviously we lost a you know a first responder which is you know, I mean, anyone that thinks that the police or anyone is not going to take this serious, I mean, they take every case serious, and especially yeah. when there's a loss of life. And you know, let's let's see what happens. Um, there's there's no doubt they're looking into this and trying to find the the culprit, and um, hopefully bring that person to ju- to justice. And boy, but no matter what they do, they're not going to bring this person back. And it's a uh, it's a sad sad day whenever you lose a cyclist. And, um, and who knows all all the details but um i would imagine anyone who works in that field um would probably be doing the, the proper things making sure they're lit making sure they're you know being safe out there because that's the world they live in um you know safety world so We'll see what happens with this one. Obviously, very very sad news, Mark, and um these are the things that the bike coalition, you know, fight fight for each and every day um yeah. making cycling
0: safer in our in our state.
1: And you know, this is another reminder of that.
0: Yeah, we have a petition that we launched uh, and and this is our in fatal bike crashes uh, petition. Um I was not a petition state, so so this doesn't pass any laws or get anything on the ballot if we do this. Um, but what we're doing is we're organizing people up. If, uh, you know, right now we have 579 people that sign this petition uh, that calls for things like change lanes to pass laws or safe passing distance laws. Um, and it calls for uh, hands free mobile phone requirements while, while you're driving and, and, you know, trying to put a, a damper on distracted driving and things like that. Um, we've got 579 people that have signed this. We really need to. Um, have that number be in the thousands if we want to affect change. We need to get sure. people uh, that will stand up and put their name on stuff and say, yeah, I'm with you here. I, I'm with you. I've had enough, and we got to make some changes. So um, if you get a chance, go to our website, iowabicyclecoalition.org, and you can get on the petition and, and uh, put your name with the other people on there that are wanting yeah. uh, in fatal bike crashes. All right. Um something a little lighter. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen the toughest bike lock in the world?
1: <laughs> the toughest bike lock in the world. No. Yeah. This is a so, new product?
0: Yeah. So here's here's the thing. Uh, I I think bike thefts are starting to go up. Um hmm. and good uh well yeah, and, and it's because there's a new tool out there. Um, the angle grinder um, can go through a lot of U-locks and chains and things like that um, pretty sure. easily. And now they make battery-operated uh, angle grinders. So you don't even need to plug the darn thing in. And you can just start sawing on a lock takes about a minute and, and you got a got a bike that you've stolen. Um, this one is completely resistant. It's the nuclear option, as they're calling it. Huh. Uh, It's comically oversized, so this thing weighs 13.7 pounds, and it looks like a kettlebell. Uh, (laughs) Wait, did you say
1: 13.7
0: pounds? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, That's That's that's, heavier than some bikes. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's it is. Uh, It is, it is made with material that eats up the discs used in angle grinders um so if you if your thief's gonna start uh start working on it um it uh it's gonna tear up the the machine uh faster oh. um oh. it's Could you well, use and, the,
1: the the ginsu knife on it perhaps
0: uh, perhaps um it cuts through anything i think so the, the, the plan with this, and the reason why this weighs so much and it's so indestructible, is this is the type of lock that you take to work and you leave it there. Uh, it's, gotcha. It stays right on the bike rack that you like to use. Um, so that makes it, uh, you don't want to carry this thing around. That's no, not what it's geez. made for. Uh, retail price is expected at $300, uh, but if you want to go to Indiegogo and get in on the introductory offer, it's 199 Hmm. Okay. Interesting.
1: All right. I like that part of leaving it, you know, where you're going to lock your bike. Cause that, if you're hauling that around your neck at thirteen seven, that's, that's a little bit of LBS is on your neck there. So uh, <laughs> you really, you really try not to carry that extra weight, but if you have to, you have to. And if you want to keep your bike safe, uh, you know, especially in an urban setting where you've got people with, you know, popping with a van and an angle grinder and there goes your bike. I mean, yeah, it's a it's a good deal. So, that's good. I like anything that deters people from trying to steal a bike. And does this thing scream that don't even mess with me, kind of, on the bike lock?
0: Yeah, yeah. It, well, it looks, I mean, it looks like a kryptonite lock. It's that that black and grayish color. So, it looks like your standard mm. bike lock, but, um, you know, more Hulk-sized. Um yeah. Okay. It, it looks like the Hulk's Iron Man suit. That's that's what it really looks <laughs> okay. like. You know, just gotcha. a little bit bigger. Um, gotcha. So yeah, um, yeah. If you uh, if you want to give me something for Christmas, there you go. There's there's the start there of my start of my wish list. Well, good.
1: Well, seems like you know the bike calendar is kind of rolling down. Um, I know I've, I'm going up to Minnesota next weekend to do Paul's Bacon Ride part two um with um you know bacon bike rides are always always fun to do and that Brainerd area is kind of a nice little fishing hole up there and so um that we did this we did that one last year mark i don't know if you're planning to go back to to that one again but that should be a lot of fun and um brooks reynolds is the the ride director of that one we do a lot of events with brooks down here in iowa but, um, should be, should be a lot of fun. I heard there's about 300 people already signed up for that one. So it should be, should be a good one.
0: Yeah, it'll be cool. Yeah. Um, I'm planning to go up. I don't have any reason not to at this point. I think the, uh, Mrs. Wyatt said, yeah, you just go up there. I'm not going to go up with you guys. Um, uh, but yeah, it should be fun. I, I rode
1: with pumpkin last year, which is always a treat because <laughs> it doesn't happen very often. It's kind of like a comet. It doesn't happen very often. So, uh take advantage of those situations when you can. So, that was exactly. Fun. Exactly. Well, cool. well, I know I know Murph did an interview with um someone that was doing the Leadville 100. I don't know if you know much about that that ride, Mark. It's, uh isn't
0: um, isn't that a altitude race uh, in the Rocky Mountains? Uh yeah.
1: yeah. It's um yeah, you go pretty much up in the in the Rockies. It's kind of like in that kind of the Breckenridge area, then all of a sudden you like kind of go up in and in the backwoods, and there you go. And you know, you basically race against you know some some kind of badasses. I'm I'm guessing because you know your typical weekend warrior isn't attempting the Leadville 100. So um, so I'm I'm kind of curious to hear Murph's interview. And um, I'm like I said, it's not your your typical. I think I'll go do that that ride this weekend. I mean, it's one <laughs> that you must train and you must you must have like the steve cannon kind of mentality that I'm, I'm i'm crazy enough to do this ride so uh but maybe maybe it's a little bit different i don't know but um that's what i've always thought about the ride but it's not on my bucket list anytime soon i don't know about you mark but uh i'll leave that to the professionals
0: there's a ride out there for everybody isn't there
1: yeah yeah that one is not for me so i'm <laughs> I'm, I'm leaning more towards paul's bacon ride how's that
0: Well, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Let's give a listen, see what happens.
2: Well, hello, Just Go Bike podcast listeners, a.k.a. Murph, here with another great episode of Just Go Bike. Today, I'm with Michelle Duffy. Hey, Michelle. Hi there. Hi. So Michelle is the Senior Marketing Manager at Lifetime overseeing the Leadville Race Series. And if you don't know about the Leadville Series, you must check it out. Um, At least that's what I thought. So I grabbed Michelle and asked her to be on the podcast. Um, Leadville is a series of race events for, I would consider, the serious athlete. Um, Michelle, can you give us a quick rundown of the events within the series? Sure. So
3: we actually started um, way back with a 100 mile run and have evolved a lot since then. So we kick off our season with a trail marathon and heavy half, which is a true marathon distance and a 15 and a half mile foot race. Uh, Then we have a couple of camps, one's a mountain bike camp and a run camp and um, they help people get primed and ready for the 100 mile distances later in the year. Um, We have the Silver Rush weekend um, in the first weekend of July, and that is a 50-mile run and 50-mile mountain bike race Wow! that we've recently, yeah, and we've recently actually added two 15-mile distances to that event, um, more so to help get new people into the sport, and um, that's the first time this ha- that's happened was this year. Uh, we have the Leadville Stage Race, and that's a three-day mountain bike race, which takes the 100-mile distance and... Breaks it into three days, so they ride 40 miles, 20 miles, and 40 miles three consecutive days in a row, and that always takes place two weeks prior to the Grand Daddy of It All, mm-hmm. um, which is always the second weekend in August. Uh, the Leadville Trail 100 mountain bike race started in 1994, um, and uh, we follow that up with the Leadville Trail 100 run just the following week. So, and I think we those should. Those are all the events. That-
2: and I think we should point out that uh, Leadville is located in Colorado, so none of these events are flat, and uh, we're talking some serious elevation, aren't we? Yes, yeah,
3: so Leadville is actually the highest incorporated city in America. Oh. Um, it sits at 10,200 feet. Uh, so everything is at least at 10,200 feet and climbs to at least 12,000 feet Wow. Um, some sections are even higher.
2: <laughs> wow. And I'm, this is probably a silly question, but when you're talking about the Leadville 100 run, is that like literally people are running a hundred miles at one time?
3: Yes. Wow. Um, that's actually what started our series and it's a hundred miles. It actually climbs to 12,800 feet um, and then at the halfway point of the course. <laughs> so it's kind of intense and crazy and Usually only 50% of starters finish that event, but it's definitely, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool though.
2: That's mind blowing. But also just the the Leadville 100 mountain bike race is also grueling. Uh, I had a good friend, I should probably give a shout out to Rob McKillop. He did his sixth Leadville uh, 100 mountain bike race this last weekend And he was so excited to be able to finish it in, I don't remember how many hours, but I'm thinking, Mm -hmm. all the stuff that I did in that same amount of time, he was Mm -hmm. hardcore racing. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And um, we actually, we give people up to 12 hours to finish the event. Wow. Um, So, yeah, it's a long day out there.
2: Yeah. Well, let's get into a little bit about the Leadville 100 mountain bike race. Um, like, give us some idea, you know, so we can visualize maybe the route, the distance, you know, you mentioned a little bit about the elevation, but just what the course is like. Sure.
3: Um, The course starts right in town in the city of Leadville, um, population around 2600. And they they take out uh, right right from downtown Leadville. And it's an out and back. So they ride from Leadville and wind their way to the town of Twin Lakes, which is the next town over. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where they do their halfway point climb. So they climb halfway through the race uh, from around 9,600 feet to 12,400 feet um, to the top of this famous Columbine Climb. It's 10 miles long. And once they reach the top of that, they turn around and come right back to the, the way that they started. So um, it's nice because crews can kind of see them along the way having it be an out and back. But sure. it does mean everything that they had to go down or up, they have to do the opposite on the way home. So, uh, you know, some note that our our race isn't super technical for a mountain bike race, which in some ways is true. The single track sections are pretty minimal but it's just straight hard for a hundred miles i mean there's a ton of climbing um there's super fast descent a lot of hike a bike sections that you know 10 miles of climbing straight is pretty intense So many ends up um, getting off their bike and walking it up those sections but it's just really hard hard riding for a hundred miles yeah
2: and what's the actual um uh- Course like is it uh, just dirt? Is it gravel? Like what's the terrain? It's it's a
3: mix, yeah. and I think that's how sometimes it's underestimated. A lot of mountain bike races are pretty technical, six track the whole time, and our event is a steady mix of. There's actually even some paved road on oh, it, okay. um, some gravel section. And then some more technical climbing um, and a little bit of single track. So it's a mix. And that's what is deceiving for some people, because some sections are just so fast that um, they, they underestimate that part. And then there's also some of the climbing where when we see people coming from 50 states and 30 countries, you know, they're not all used to a, the elevation, and, sure. and B, the intense climbing. Um,
2: so, you know, the hills in
3: Florida aren't exactly the same as the Rocky Mountains in
2: Colorado. <laughs> I would say that about Iowa as well, because we're, you know, I'm from yeah. Iowa, and yeah, I'm actually going to be doing an event in Colorado, I'm mean, sorry, in Arizona, and, uh, you know, the trainer's, like, telling me to practice elevation. I'm like, I I need to really look for elevation in Iowa <laughs> To be extreme yeah. <laughs> like that, so so you you mentioned that um, the first event was actually a run, the Leadville 100 run. So, what prompted uh, organizers to branch out and get bike riding into it?
3: Sure, um, I actually I love this story of why we even exist. Um, the The series started with the run in an effort to save a dying mining town in the Rocky Mountains. Mm-hmm. So. It's home to to um, Climax Mine, and that used to staff almost 3,000 3, 3, people um, within the greater Leadville community. And then overnight, it was just shut down, and it went from one of the most thriving towns to one of the most um, unemployed and financially struggling towns mm-hmm. in the U.S. So Ken Clover, our founder, um, and some others, We're talking about how can they save the town. And at that time, ultra running had just sparked. And he went and observed some other events and was like, you know what? If we have a 100-mile race here, people are going to have to stay overnight. They're going to start spending money here. And so um, so the Leadville Trail 100 run was born. 11 years later is when we launched the 100-mile mountain bike distance. And at that time mountain biking was really just evolving from Mm -hmm. a hobby in the U S into a sport. And, you know, we already had the means and the, the mountains and um, that was all already kind of laid down and starting to grow reputation. So from there, it seemed like a good time to, how how do we get more people into town? How Mm -hmm. do we impact more lives? Because, The Leadville Race Series is really about building a community, um, both within Leadville, but then also amongst the athletes. Mm -hmm. So branching into mountain bike and and becoming one of the the major mountain bike races in the world still to this day, um, you know, it's spurred from the run, but has really grown into its own thing that lives and breathes on its own now.
2: Awesome. And I have never been to Leadville, but it's definitely uh, the name of a city that, you know, as soon as somebody says it, I immediately think of the race. I had no idea it was such a small populated area. So kudos to you guys. Thank you. Yeah. Well, how about um, the Leadville Mountain Bike Race? How many participants actually sign up for it? Well,
3: this year... We have a lottery, so our interest is always higher than the number of athletes that we can uh, accommodate mm-hmm. on the start line. But this year, we had just over 1,600 athletes wow. well off the start, um, yeah, and 1,300 finished. So we had an 80% finisher rate this year.
2: Hmm. And is this an event where you have to qualify for it, or can you just decide, hey, I'm going to do this? It's a mix.
3: So most of our field gets in through our lottery system, which we open December 1st through December 31st every year. Mm -hmm. And then we have a random lottery drawing um, in the middle of January. So we accept about 60 percent of our field through the lottery. Um, Apart from that, though, we do have a qualifier system. Sometimes the word qualifier can be misleading because you don't necessarily need to be fast to qualify. Mm-hmm. But all of the races within our portfolio, so Silver Rush, Stage Race, and then we actually have uh, four events that are outside of the town of Leadville, the Austin Rattler, Wilmington Whiteface, Burner, and Tahoe Trail. They all serve as qualifiers for the Leadville Trail 100 mountain bike race. So we get out both coins in... Uh, based on your age group performance, as well as a random lottery on site at the event. So if someone doesn't get in through the lottery, they can come to say the Silver Rush 50, mm-hmm. ride it, throw their name in the hat at the end of the event. And if we draw you, you get entry.
2: Oh, OK, OK. Um so when they're out on the course, it's an out and back, like you mentioned, um, I'm assuming there's not like little small towns every couple miles. So how do the athletes mm-hmm. stay hydrated or fed or energized and all that good stuff?
3: Honestly, it's so much kudos to our volunteers. Mm-hmm. We have frequent volunteers, which, by the way, is another way you can get into the race. Oh, okay. You and your family and friends can volunteer and they can donate their hours to you and If you volunteer over 10 hours a year, you can uh, get in. Okay. But our volunteers are amazing. Um, We don't have towns that you go through, so it's all aid stations on Mm -hmm. course. They're fully stocked with ramen noodles and chips and pretzels and M&Ms and goo and water. Um, So they either can rely on our aid stations or the aid stations also double as crew zones. So friends and family come out and crew their riders, um, particularly at the hundred. And the other, the, the other way that they can get through it is using drop bags. So they can load up everything that they want. They give it to us and tell us what aid stations they want each bag at and we transport it for them and, our volunteers help them pick up their drop bags at each aid station.
2: Okay. Okay. Um, how about any um, good finisher stories with people finishing it? Or um, I'm sure that you have hundreds. Yes. Yeah.
3: You know, it's really interesting because you can stand at the finish line at amongst the first finishers, and and their stories are great. And the competition that happened out there is amazing. But you can also stand there at the 12 hour mark and watch the emotion of those people come across Mm -hmm. the finish line that you know if someone's been out there riding for 12 hours there's a a purpose and b is what they've went through out there in double the amount of time that it took the first place finisher is you know unimaginable you you really don't understand what must have went on mentally to get them to the finish line some of which are crossing the finish line minutes after our cutoff which is always Heartbreaking, but mm-hmm. also like still so emotional. Um, but we we always have really interesting stories. I mean, comeback stories from illness or injury. It it tends to be a bucket list item for folks. But you know, this year I watched. We have a we have a challenge called the Leadman Challenge, where athletes will take place in five run and mountain bike events of ours throughout the year. And in order for them to keep going, they have to finish. So this this past weekend I watched a lead man push his bike down Sixth Street, which is where the finish line is. He had a flat tire and mm. he knew he just needed to get across the finish line so he walked his bike Lord knows how many miles, but um, just to get across the finish line and and that was amazing to see. We've seen uh, one rider, carrying another rider in with both of their bikes just to get them both across the finish line Mm. only having met out on course um which is which is amazing and and dave Mackey, he's near and dear to us he was a former pro ultra runner he lost his leg in an accident uh, while he was running out on the trails and and last year just less than a year after Um, he made the decision to have his leg amputated. He participated in the Lead Man Challenge, which included the 100 Mountain Bike Race. And just like to see, he was the first um, leg amputee to do that and to watch him through the process and really just showing that, you know, we take advantage so much of the level of activity we're capable of or what our pastimes are, but, um, you know, it can't really get taken away from you. And that was always... It was emotional to watch him throughout the year, last year, and he's actually back again this year for more.
2: Oh, that's great. I, I can't imagine being at the finish line, like you said, it, whether it be the first or the last, and the volume of mental and physical determination, and it's just mind-blowing to me. It's really, I, I need to come out and see it, uh, maybe be one of your volunteers.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we would love that. Yeah,
2: um, so do you think it's the you know the physical challenge and the mental determination that keeps people coming back, or you know what do you think what do you think it is?
3: I think that definitely we hear time and time again that it was the most physically challenging and rewarding experience for people, mm-hmm. but we have riders that have come back for twenty six years straight Whoa. and And I don't, Yes, we actually, we do have two gentlemen, Todd Murray and John Callahan that have done all 26, but I think it's more than that for them. I mean, they've experienced the challenge at that point. They can get that challenge elsewhere and sometimes people do go elsewhere to find a different challenge, but I think what our founders, Ken and Marilee, who are still very much involved, have built is more than just an event that's challenging. I mean... They welcome every athlete into their family, mm-hmm. and they actually mean that. Um, they, they consider everyone that comes in and does an event a, a son and daughter to them, and that is not missed. If you sit there in the pre-race athlete meeting and hear them address everyone that's sitting in front of them, it's extremely moving, and you feel at home. Um, and I think it's that, and I think it's the community, both the Leadville community and also the community that's formed around our athletes Mm -hmm. and our staff. I mean, we all, we know athletes by name. Um, they know us by name. They know each other, um, on the street. It's like a reunion. And maybe that comes from us having a series of events rather than just a standalone. I'm not I'm not sure, mm-hmm. um, but there's definitely just a, a huge sense of community whenever you're at a Leadville event um, that I I personally haven't experienced anywhere else.
2: That's awesome. I'm definitely feeling the sense of family just in hearing you talk about it. It's pretty cool. <laughs> so uh, <Yeah. laughs> what's it like to coordinate such an epic event and uh, what role do you play?
3: Yeah, it's amazing I mean I come from the event industry and but taking this role as kind of as I just noted stepping into something that's bigger than yourself or bigger Mm -hmm. than race day Mm -hmm. is really like at the crux of it all and and making sure that people have these spectacular experiences I mean someone that's going to race 100 miles as, as as a staff member we we try to understand how much work Has went into it for that individual, Mm -hmm. and um, and making sure that everyone has the most positive experience that they can. Mm -hmm. And we feel really passionate about that. Um, My my role is um, I lead the marketing and the branding and social media, so it's kind of on me to drive the engagement throughout the year. But again, acknowledging that this isn't an experience that takes place in one day for people. This is something that is months long. And we really try to make sure that we're engaging with the athletes Mm -hmm. for months, both before and after. And I really think it adds to their overall experience, because by the time they get there, they feel more connected. Mm -hmm. They feel like they know more about the event um, than they would have just discovered during race weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then anything branding and signage related, and but really, it's it's my job to get people there. Yeah, and it's and, working. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you know every year that, especially if you have to have a lottery that that shows that you guys are definitely doing the right things to get people to want to do the event.
3: Yeah, it's interesting because over the last few years, I think we're seeing just a growth in the sport, which is amazing. Um, And and to my point earlier, some people are just looking for a mental challenge and Mm -hmm. they'll go elsewhere and they're looking for the next big event. And that's great for the health of the industry. Um, But we're seeing so many events that are no longer lottery events because of the competition. And for us to still be turning away half of the people that enter the lottery, um, I feel like is a testament to the, to the event. Mm -hmm. Um, we, our interest is still growing.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, and that brings me to my next question. Um, let's say, you know, people listening to this podcast, we've got some people that are interested in maybe giving it a try. Um, what advice would you maybe give to someone thinking about doing the Leadville actually the run or the mountain bike race?
3: I'd say do it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, I mean, there's no harm in entering the lottery. It's a free lottery to enter. um, And if you don't get in, you know, you just don't get in and you can try again. But if you're really seriously wanting to participate, I would highly encourage coming to a qualifier event, Mm -hmm. not just to experience what riding in Leadville is like, but your odds are way higher. You could be riding with 500 riders and maybe we're giving out 75 coins and 200 people are interested. Mm -hmm, So mm
2: -hmm.
3: your odds are really high in that way. And also, um, gaining entry through a qualifier, our qualifiers are, they also help you get into a better corral or start position. So you have to use a time from a Leadville race series event in order to enhance your corral. So it's kind of like a two in one. Sure. Um, or volunteer. I mean, many people come out and volunteer with us just to experience Wedville. And it helps them get in, but they can come up and experience the event and ride the trails on their own time. Um, and and it's also, you know, a feel-good opportunity.
2: Sure, sure. Well, where can listeners go to find out more information, like website or social media?
3: Yeah, LeadvilleRaceSeries.com. Um, pretty simple. That's our website. Uh, or you can find us on social media. Uh, on Facebook, it's Leadville Race Series. And Instagram and Twitter, it is Series. Um
2: But yeah, definitely follow along.
3: We, we're very active.
2: Awesome. And I think I am right in saying that if someone is interested, they can start the registration process in December. Is that true? It is
3: true. And actually, if you're just looking to guarantee your entry, we launch other um, methods of entry like charity programs November 1st. Mm. Um, Charity and coaching will launch in November, and you can just lock your entry in at that time if you want to race for charity. Um, Otherwise, the lottery opens on December 1st.
2: Awesome. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. It was uh, definitely an interesting topic
3: Thank you for having me.
2: You bet. Well, listeners, I leave you with this quote from the Unwritten Book of Morphology. This quote comes from Josh Bender Life's Too Short Not To Go Big. Think about it.
1: Okay, we've come to the end of another edition of the Jisco Bike Podcast. Appreciate you tuning in each and every week. And this podcast has been a lot of fun doing it. I'm glad to be back behind the microphone. We had Parrot and a few others uh, filling in while I was gone. So I appreciate you stepping up while I was gone. And uh, I know there's some people that step up each and every week and support this podcast. And Mark, who are those great sponsors?
0: think i was sitting it's curious surrounding communities hey don't forget in september uh jingle cross is coming up if you're looking for the world cup of cyclocross look no further because you can see stars like i don't think walt's coming this year because he's now a road racer but i mean you could have shook walt van ert's hand he was in uh yellow there at the tour for a while um you just don't know who that next star is going to be, and they are so accessible. It's such a cool race. Um, Bikes to You, one of the best bike shops, Ch- Ragbright Charters. Uh, look no further than Grinnell, Iowa, and check out Bikes to You. <clears throat> and then finally, Primal Wear uh, out of Denver, Colorado, looking for custom bike jerseys, shorts, or apparel. Look no further than Primal Wear.
1: Yeah all great companies uh, to work with look forward to that that uci event coming up I, I plan to be over there for some of the best in the world coming to iowa city again so uh, hats off to those folks that keep putting on that event fantastic event and uh, glad to see it coming back to to iowa city and um you know when that that comes up you know it's just about football season and um which i'm i'm pretty excited about i think we're or you know when rag brag gets done it it almost turns to to football season and but there's still plenty of cycling uh to do out there so um don't hang that bike up just yet we've got plenty of plenty of good days especially in the midwest beautiful days to go out and ride your bike so let's get out there and just go bike
0: Thanks again for listening. Let us know what you think of the show by leaving a rating and a review. They really help us out a lot and help others find the show. For more information, check out justgobike.net. The show's theme song was written, produced, and performed by Ryan Steer.